Welcome to the Creative South Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Frostholm. My guest this week is my friend, Scotty Russell. Scotty is an illustrative hand lettering artist and motivational creative coach. And in his spare time, he holds down a day job as an in-house creative for an industrial manufacturer in Cedar Falls, Iowa. Scotty and I met last year when he came to Mobile to speak at an AIGA portfolio review. I was truly floored by his story and the message behind it. This year at Creative South, he presented a version of that same talk and was greeted with a standing ovation at the end. His passion and motivation to keep improving, pushing himself to meet his goals, and his willingness to help others figure out how to achieve theirs is inspiring. In this episode, we talk about all of that, plus how his college football experience shaped his life, how getting injured on the field led him into a deep depression, and how he found his place by helping others achieve their goals. On to the show. Thanks for joining me. What's going on, Jason? Long time, no talk. I know. Uh, how have you been? I have been awesome. I'm still coming down from the high of Creative South and uh, counting counting down the days until 2017. So I'm ready to go back. All right. Me too. So, And we'll get into that in a minute. But first, why don't you kind of give everybody your little bio and tell tell us where you grew up and the early formative years of Scotty Russell. Uh, okay, so I am Scotty Russell. I am from Waterloo, Iowa. I currently live in Cedar Falls, very small town, very small area, but I grew up very active in sports and I always drew. I was always into art, but I never really shared it with people. You know, I, I kind of felt like I was going to get made fun of. So I continued to play sports, went into college, uh, played football, ended up blowing my back out and you know, art kind of became my focus, but still I wasn't really sharing it with people. Mm-hmm. Uh, once I graduated, I went through some pretty tough times and kind of rediscovered my love for art and working with my hands. I ended up creating the Persona moniker of Perspective Collective in 2014, and things have just kind of been taken off ever since I just dedicated all of my spare time to drawing and giving value and trying to just help other people who may have been stuck where I was. You know, it's just, I enjoy art and I enjoy helping other people, man. That's pretty much my story. Cool. Well, let's, uh, well, let's talk about, you know, growing up, um, and the kind of being embarrassed about art. What was it that we're not embarrassed, but hiding art from people? Why did you, what made you think that people would make fun of you for it? I mean, I kind of always got bullied growing up anyway, so I figured, you know, art wasn't the manliest thing in the world, so why give someone another reason to pick on me and bully me? So I kind of just kept a sketchbook on the side and drew in the middle of classes while my teacher was talking, doodling on sketchbooks, but I would always just hide it from people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when you get through, like, high school and all, um, you went to college and... You went on a football scholarship, isn't that right? Uh, it's D3, so they don't they technically can't give you athletic scholarships, but they can find you loopholes for academic scholarships if your grades are up to par. Gotcha. So you mm-hmm. had good enough grades where you could get a few of those and Yeah, I was a bookworm, man. I like school. Hey, nothing wrong with that. Yeah. You know. D three football isn't gonna necessarily land you a career in the uh pros, but not at all. It's more playing for the passion. Yeah, I, but I just like but to being smart can help you out. <laughs> yeah, being smart can help. Yeah. 
So you play um, college football, and I know you know when you talked um, down here in Mobile at AIGA, um, there you, you had some run-ins with the coach and kind of got on his bad side, um, and you know, of course, through no fault of your own because you're a perfect angel. Exactly. <laughs> um, and and so. How did that kind of, you know, affect you making that progress through college and stuff like that? Uh, honestly, I I really don't know what I did to deserve it. I think maybe it's from just where I'm from and maybe kind of the group of people I hung out with. But I really let it affect me. It kind of overtook me. It, it made me take on this victim mentality. I was totally out of control. I was so worried about this other guy that he lived in my head and it affected my performance on the football field, uh, mm-hmm. in the classroom, just my personal life. So I was so worried about things I couldn't control and, you know, it, it kind of, kind of was ruining my life and putting me through a depression in a sense. Sure. So you're going through this depression and then you get injured, um, pretty badly too. Yeah. So, Kind of walk us through what happened and how you kind of got back on your feet and all. Well, it would have been my sophomore year. Mm -hmm. And just playing in practice one day, I was on the scout team. Like, our varsity was really, really good. We're ranked in the nation. It's D3 football, but, like, we have people around our D3 area that do make it to the pro. So, I mean, it is possible. Oh, yeah. But in scout team, I Just look at Doug Flutie. Exactly, or Fred Jackson. Uh, yeah. He's the pride of Co College from where I'm from, so he he was a pretty well known running back lately. But um, anyway, so I'm in the scout team. I know the ball's coming to me. Uh, the quarterback throws a dart. I go up in the air to catch it. It's a little high, and the strong safety comes out and takes my legs out. Mm-hmm. And he tackles me really, really high to the ground, just with a lot of force. I hear a lot of pop in my back. I Tried to play on it and went through the next couple weeks just trying to shake it off. And finally, I had to go to the doctor. It was just a little too much for me to bear. And I got diagnosed through a CAT scan with a herniated, degenerative, and bulging disc in my L3 through L5. So this also caused uh, caused me to have a twisted pelvis and pinched nerves going down my legs. Fun. Yeah, it was. It sucked. Um, but what sucked worse was I ended up having to get injections in my spine Mm-hmm. And that followed up with about three months of just some really gruesome therapy. But I was really determined to come and play football. You know, I, I went to this private school and mm-hmm. I don't come from money. So I, I had to come here for a reason to prove my point. Uh, I, I worked my way back. Uh, the other he- the, the head coach that didn't like me ended up accepting a new job out, outside of the state. So I got to come in. Um, really get back after it has something to prove. And then I ended up blowing my back out again. So Mm -hmm. I'm, yeah, I'm at this D three school, so much debt backed up on me, uh, two years in my majors and two years in the football program. It's like football is my family. I I ended up just coaching, which could have been, which was a huge blessing in disguise because that helped me find my voice to, to motivate and push people, you know, an athletic scene, but you know, it led me to what I'm doing now into public speaking. So it was a huge blessing in disguise. Yeah. Well, I know that, you know, you and I talked and you, during that time, before you kind of got into coaching, though, you kind of went through some dark times. Um, and and how, how did you kind of pull yourself out of that? I mean, was it the coaching itself or was it 
it was other it, stuff. So when I graduated, uh, I couldn't get a job. I spent too much time partying in school, so I didn't work on like building my portfolio. I, I didn't reach out, build connections with future employers. Like honestly, mm-hmm. I sucked. I thought I was good, but it was nowhere to where my potential laid. So um, I, I think it kind of just hit me. I, I was at a really low point. I was serving at a restaurant. I was mm-hmm. coaching some football, personal training. I was really good at like helping other people see their potential and really finding success, but I couldn't make myself happy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I went to I went to bed one night just really pissed off, and I, I prayed to God, just like, please show me a sign. You know, what am I supposed to be doing? And I woke up the next day, finally, three years later, I finally got a job offer for graphic design. You know, this is what I went to school for, three years mm-hmm. with no job, and I, I, I got my opportunity, I got my shot, and that kind of changed my perspective that day. I, I got this opportunity after everybody told me, no, I wasn't good enough. And I had something to prove not only to those people, to myself. Mm. And so, yeah. so do you think, you know, kind of growing up in the situation that you did, facing those adversities through college, you know, getting injured, you know, so not being able to pursue what your passion was at the time, um, you know, kind of getting kicked in the gut while you're trying to find a job the entire time. Do you think that kind of lit a fire in your belly that, you know, forced you to, you know, for lack of a better term, fight or flight and just overcome it. And that's when, you know, you kind of broke down and prayed to God and, you know, kind of got your answer. Definitely. I kind of saw it as this could either go two ways. I could feel sorry for myself like I had been playing a Mm -hmm. victim and just play out this role of getting a job where all my other friends were working a nine to five, uh, hating my Monday mornings, living for the weekends and just trying to keep my eyes on the vision of retiring because life begins when you're 60 to 65. But I also had the option to really start pursuing my art and persevering, facing adversity and just putting everything together, working hard and just trying to make something of myself and kind of live life off my own script, you know, create my own world instead of living in this one that's been given to me. And I chose the latter of the options and I decided to go to work. Mm -hmm. So kind of walk us through how you decided to go to work. What did you do? Uh, Once I got that job offer, I just became addicted to the process. So I I busted my tail in graphic design. I would go home and search tutorials, uh, research articles, anything I could do, endless scavenging for inspiration, and I would apply it immediately because you can watch all the tutorials you want, but if you're not applying it, then you don't really learn anything. Mm -hmm. Um, I also rediscovered my passion for drawing, which I kind of given up because I I fell into the graphic design world. So I I found that, started posting some art on Instagram, and Mm -hmm. people started liking it. I started getting some affirmation, some validation, and it was like, wow, maybe I, I have something here. Mm-hmm. Um, about a year later into drawing, I created Perspective Collective. I started building an online audience. Uh, honestly, at, for, at the beginning, I was chasing the likes and the passions, uh, uh, the likes and the followers. I was addicted. I wasn't doing it for the passion. <laughs> but, you know, I think a lot of for the popularity. Oh, without a doubt. But, you know, I, I, I've learned that it's so much more than that. But that gave me the confidence that led me to know that I, I am 
capable of doing something. I'm capable of making something of myself. I'm capable of creating awesome art and, you know, I have something to share with the world. So that kind of helped build your self-esteem back up? Without a doubt. Instagram is by far probably the number one thing that is the reason why I'm here, which is crazy to say that a social platform can do that when before I was posting pictures of pizza and my cats and just random crap out about the city. But once I really started... Pizza is very important. Yeah, but now I draw (laughs) pizza. So yeah, yeah, that way I can still post it because it's related to art. But once I really just channeled all my energy into my art, things really started taking off. Sure. So, you know, you have a day job and we'll talk about that in a second, but how are you finding the time to do the other stuff? Because you've got a wife, um, you know, from talking to you, I know you have a social life. You don't just hole up in a cave all the time, Um, (laughs) you know, but you also have a full time job. How are you making the time and, you know, how does that balance play out? Um, the most important thing I've learned in the last year is just the power of saying no mm-hmm. and just the power of waking up early and focusing on what's most important. So I am able to work a 40 hour job and then still put in 30 to 40 hours outside of my job through filling every gap of the day with doing what's most important. So I wake up, I don't have to be to work till seven. So I wake up each morning around like 4.15, 4.20, and that mm-hmm. allows me about an hour and a half of just straight focus work, no distractions, nobody bugging me. I keep my phone away from me, and that's whether I'm either writing or you know doing something that's going to push the needle of growing my business to where I desire to be. Sure. So walk me through the writing because you know, I, I have problems with writing. I, it's not my go-to. I can write. It's not my comfortable medium. Hence the reason I do a podcast where I talk to people so I can avoid writing as much as possible. <laughs> um, what does that do for you? Honestly, um, I never saw myself as a writer. I literally began writing last June because of people in the Sean West community finally convinced me to start it. And I truly believe everybody should blog. There's so many good reasons to writing and blogging. Not only it's going to help you find clarity within yourself and your mission and your purpose, but it positions you as an expert. You can build content. It allows you to go more in depth on certain topics that you're trying to teach or share. Mm -hmm. But writing for me really just brought me clarity of my why, what the hell I'm even trying to do here. Um, It it gave my art a bigger purpose. It gave me a bigger voice. It helped me find my voice. Mm -hmm. And that's how I was able to turn a blog post into a, a public speech and how speaking has now turned into something I want to start building more audio and video towards, you know, but it all started with writing. Like everything starts with writing for me. Writing is what makes the motor go. It's the fuel. So do you, so do you take everything that you write and turn it into a blog post or do you keep stuff for yourself as well? I keep stuff for myself as well, but I, I honestly, it all starts off with a mind map. Like I, I have to start everything by working with hands, working with my hands. So I, I draw mm-hmm. a little mind map post and, kind of get my topic set up and then I build my, you know, kind of my layout from there. And then I go to write in the next morning. I kind of, I, I, mar- I work on it the night before I marinate on it in my sleep. And then I wake up early and get my coffee and just grind. So how do you push through on those days when you're just like brain dead and you feel like you're tapped out or do you just, you know, realize that that's one of those days where you just kind of need to take a break, shut down and you know, it'll come back to you. Um, there's this 
there's a saying that really, really stuck with me and it resonates with me. And this is how I, I dedicate myself to my craft and the hustle is you're either a hobbyist or you're a professional. So <laughs> you're a hobbyist is one who does it when it's not convenient. And I used to be a hobbyist, but mm-hmm. in order to get to where I want to be, I need to be a professional and professionals work on things that are most important, even when it's not convenient. Sure. So when I start feeling sorry for myself or I want to take a break, I put that in my mind. I'm like, okay, are you acting like a hobbyist right now or are you a professional? <laughs> and that always gets me fired up. So I always find a way to push through it, man. There's, there's no time to slack. I don't have enough time. Gotcha. So, and I was asking that because I know for me, like if I get a creative block, it's usually because I've been thinking too much and I'm trying to come up with 50 different angles on something of how to do something. And I've just overwhelmed myself. So if I step back and I just kind of allow myself to shut off and, you know, go play with my kids or, you know, turn on TV and just veg out for even an hour or two, I'm generally able to go, you know, when I get back up and want to do something, it's like, that clarity has pushed all that clutter out and I'm able to, you know, kind of hone in on what I want to do. Oh, without a doubt. You definitely need to get away from your work a little bit. Like for me, the gym clears my mind. Seriously, mm-hmm. it, it totally, I get good ideas when I'm in there. Uh, otherwise drawing is like my biggest therapy. Drawing is what frees my mind. So like if I'm not writing, I'm probably drawing. Gotcha. You know, they, those are those are my outlets and those are kind of the yin yin yang they balance each other somehow which i never saw possible but th- writing's my go-to therapy i love the process more than gotcha. the finished product yeah for sure really yeah it's, the process is the the therapy part man the, the finished product is cool but you know posting it to whatever platform getting some attention that's all fine and dandy but i find the most growth happens in the process that's where you can experiment that's where you can you know what they say, like during the creative process, oh, this is all right. This is crap. Man, this sucks. Man, this is garbage. Eh, it's kind of all right. And finally mm-hmm. at the end, you're like, damn, this is pretty cool. You know, that, <laughs> that it's the process. That's what I love. And then you know? two weeks later, you look at it again and go, oh, damn it. I should have done this, this, this. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I, I love, you know, it used to make me mad that I, I – hated my old work, but now it's just like, I I see the growth. So each month I can look back and pick apart a piece or just like, why the heck did I post that? But it just shows that there is growth, you know, it's growth when you show up. So, you know, kind of talking about growing, um, you talked about how the blog posts kind of led into being able to do public speaking. And I know, was it February that you were down here? I think it was February. February like 27th was my first speech. Yeah. So aside from the mandatory speech class that they make everybody do in high school, um, (laughs) had you done any speaking other than that? Never. No. No, that was my first time. So, you know, because I I saw you do it and you, you know, seemed like a natural at it. And we had talked beforehand of that was like one of your biggest fears of getting up in front of people and talking. And it, it honestly, it didn't show. So how did you push past that fear? <laughs> Another social platform helped me out a lot with that, which is crazy. Snapchat is what got me comfortable with public speaking, believe it or not. Okay, you're going to have to explain Snapchat to me after this because I, <laughs> I still don't get it. I love that platform, man. It's so awesome. But 
once I once Diane had asked me, Diane Gibbs, for all you who don't know, well, you're listening to this podcast, you know who Diane is. Um, she she was on a few episodes back. Yeah, everybody <laughs> knows Diane in this community. Yes, but when she had first asked me, I wanted to say no. Like I wanted to say no. I was terrified. I'd never done it before, and the scarcity mindset or just the fear in me was like, dude, you're going to screw up. Don't do it. You don't eat. You've never been to Alabama. These people don't know you. Who wants to hear what you have to say? But yeah, you're a damn Yankee down here. (laughs) Yeah. Just a little Iowa boy in mobile, (laughs) (laughs) but going into the new year, I'm like, I need to get my face on camera more. Okay. I'm more than just a drawing to Instagram. I need to get in front of the camera in order to speak to an audience you know, if I'm going to do public speaking, I need to get my face in front of the camera. Mm-hmm. So I took to Snapchat instead of just 24-7 posting my drawing process, with that, which I do all the time. So I'll make sure you check that out. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> selfless plug. But <laughs> I started just taking to Snapchat and sharing my daily thoughts, sharing my struggles, kind of lighting some fire under people's back ends, you know, sharing what's working for me, what's not. And, you know, finding ways that I can deliver more value to my audience, you know, taking my excerpts from my blog posts and then just speaking to those. And it started to gain traction. It built some confidence. People were resonating with it, giving me some great feedback. And it it really prepared me to get in front of people. Gotcha. And in between then and Creative South, did you have any other opportunities to do any speaking? Nope. Creative South was my second one. All right. And (laughs) yeah. I heard that went horrible. I mean, people stood up at the end and tried to walk out. Oh, wait, think, no, standing th- ovation. That's what it was. Uh, I think people were trying to leave, but <laughs> yeah, no, that was a trip, man. That, that was, that was probably the coolest moment of my life and I will never forget it. I, I've been so busy since I've gotten back. I haven't had a chance to just cherish that moment, but seriously, that was a life changer. It, it went way better than I ever thought. And it was just a huge blessing. And I think everybody who was there that, listened in and was engaged like seriously it changed my life and i'm just so appreciative very gotcha. humbling moment yeah so did you refine your talk at all between oh yeah like big time refine or just like little tweaks here the, and there the essence was still there but i tailored it more to the audience gotcha you know so i kind of sourced some questions not only from my newsletter but people i knew that were going to be there and mm-hmm. you know it was different than just the college crowd who was going into the real world these people who are established out of school mostly and maybe they're just not sure what they want to do with their creativity they're not sure where to start or maybe they just don't think it's possible they need to get that nine to five job like i thought i needed to have Mm -hmm. and i really tailored it towards them yeah so i was trying to speak their language and just kind of sharing where i was so not to knock the nine to five job too much because you do have one oh (laughs) or well seven to whatever seven to four (laughs) <laughs> Seven to four, but you do have to pay the bills and, you know, yeah. until, until this can, you know, take off as your full-time opportunity, you know, that's a uh, it's smart, definitely smart over- move. <laughs> it's overlapping right now. I, I have to build the income to support the passion, but it's important that when you're overlapping, you get that day job that's not going to suck the life out of you when you get home. You know, you mm-hmm. can't be drained when you go home and not want to work on anything. Okay. That's when the hobbyist comes out. So yep. it's important to line up that job that can pay the bills. So if I'm doing hand lettering and my job was killing me right now, which it's not, I would go and start serving pizzas if it would pay the bills, you know, as long as it didn't conflict with what I was trying to accomplish at home. So that's Bring the important up. part, but I don't, I don't see myself working for the man my entire life and yes. I don't feel everybody has to, you know, that's, 
that's what we're told that we should do, but I don't believe the lie. Yeah. And I, I like how in typical Scotty fashion, you bring it back to pizza somehow. Always, man. <laughs> Pizza's always on my mind. <laughs> so, um, well, let's talk a little bit about what you do at your day job and then we'll talk about, you know, how perspective, what you do with perspective collective directly and, you know, find out where that overlap is. Okay. Um, so currently I work as a full-time graphic designer and I'm kind of the logo specialist. I, I'm an illustrator junkie. You know, I don't share my vector work that often, but I, I love me some Adobe Illustrator. Like I, I was a graphic design junkie before I got into illustrative lettering, you know, mm. and lettering with illustration. So I pretty proficient with like InDesign and Photoshop and Adobe Premiere. So I am the go-to guy for any kind of graphics, any kind of logos, any kind of icons. I do branding um, and all kinds of layouts. So I'm, I'm the go-to guy on our team. You know, everybody, we're placed in our specialties and then we're mm -hmm. cross-trained, but I'm the logo guy. So how does that work? Because I know you work for, you guys make valves and gauges, right? Um, I work... I work at a building, but I basically serve the parent company. So they uh, own okay. they they own and acquire all different kinds of companies. So like I work for the company that owns the Jaws of Life, the pe the people that'll save you, get you out of your car if you get in a wreck. Do you get an but, employee discount on that? <clears throat> yeah, no. <laughs> but but so like one of the divisions I work with, they one of the companies I serve uh, is pumps and valves. So I mean, how do you market pumps and valves to make it cool? And my job is to make great logos, speak the audience's language, uh, position it to the end user and just make dope graphics that can transform you and blow away the competition, which we do a great job. So it's a lot of honestly, we're a project manager as well. So I'm way more than a graph designer. I manage all my projects. Mm -hmm. I have to delegate tasks. I have to prioritize. I work with clients all across the globe. So I have to deal with time zone, time management and but a lot of this really overlaps and helps me when I come home. So it's great experience. Well, how, so how does it help you? How does that overlap help you? It helps me with project management, time management, you know, prioritizing, you know, the projects that are really going to push, move the needle, you know, mm -hmm. things that are really going to push it forward. And then I can prioritize, you know, the low ones into mindless gap times, like, responding to emails. I, I realized email is not the most important thing. You know, I don't ever start my day off with email when I'm home. Yeah, I, I focus on putting first things first. So time management, project management, you know, I use my branding, my learning, building icons, you know, things I don't share, but are more behind the scenes. Gotcha. So Perspective Collective, the art that you do for that is I mean, at some certain point, you scan in the computer, but it's it's all hand done. It's all you know. You're, you're doing pen and ink. You're stippling. Do you view that as a necessary thing for you to be able to decompress from the digital stuff that you're having to do with working in Illustrator, you know, and Photoshop and InDesign all day? Does that you know kind of balance there? Oh yeah, like I, I love that stuff. It's it's cool and all, but that's not what gets me excited. That's not what I go to bed excited to wake up to work on the next day. You know that that's fun stuff. It's important and mm -hmm. it's a great skill set that'll enhance just my brand sure. in general. But I, I 
I, like I mentioned earlier, I, I love the process of working with my hands and, you know, being able to take an idea and make it come to life through mm-hmm. my hands like that's just powerful. You know, something I thought everybody can do, but not everybody can do it. No, no. Yeah. So definitely it, not. It, it's, it's definitely my unique skill that I never really fully appreciated until now. And now yes. that's I just want to push it as far as I can go. Yeah. And I know for me, I have a very love hate relationship with stippling. So. Yeah, yeah, like that, that that would drive me insane. Like my hand feels like it can fall off, but man, I zone out and two hours goes by and it, I just feel calm, serenity. You know, it's just a great feeling. I just zone mm-hmm. out and I kind of just forget about what's been stressing me out. Like I said, it's therapy. I can stipple for days, man. I love that stuff. <laughs> I do it and I'm 10 minutes in going, oh God, I have so much more to do and my hand is already getting sore. And... <laughs> Um, I could do this so much faster in so many different ways. And it's, it's not a Zen moment for me. <laughs> I mean, I have yeah. other Zen moments of things that I do, but that is definitely not stippling. It's definitely and, not for everyone, man. Yeah, definitely not for, I, I wanted to kill myself the first time I tried it. So but, <laughs> was that one of those, what the hell did I get myself into? Yeah. I, I saw other people doing it and I'm just like, well, this looks fun. And it, I, I took on a large task taller than I, I was expecting, but the end product turned out really cool. And then I'm like, okay, this isn't so bad. Gotcha. So let's kind of deep dive into Perspective Collective and what you want to do with it and what you currently get out of it versus what you want to get out of it. Well, it started off, I was all about the client work. I wanted to take on the big clients. Uh, You know, I was doing really good. I was making good money each month, a great income with client work. And Mm -hmm. You know, it just wasn't fulfilling. Like I, I spend my whole day pretty much doing client work at my full time job and tending to other people's priorities and putting out fires. It's like where where do I get to create for me? Sure. And so I cut out all the client work. I put all my focus into my blog, into my writing and serving my audience. And that's when things really, really changed. It stopped being selfish and how can I make money and it became more how can I use my gift to help other people find their gift? Mm-hmm. And that's when things just started clicking, man. And it, it really kind of went downhill and it just keeps evolving each month into something so much bigger than myself. So, well, let's talk about that and, and kind of how is it evolving into something bigger than you? How do, how do you see it? Let me rephrase. How do you see it evolving for you? I see it evolving. So my kind of target niche audience is – Creatives who love to create, they're not really sure exactly where they need to devote their focus to, Mm -hmm. and they're not exactly sure where to start. So I'm not really focusing on the people who have already built a sustainable business, okay? That's not my target audience. It's more these people who are unsure where to start. So like my whole coaching aspect with football and personal training and just like my my leadership certificate I took at Warburg comes into play. Like I would really want to get into – I'm focusing on building a consulting and a coaching program that's really focused on these creatives. And I still find my time to create by my weekly blog post. I I draw a featured image with it each week. So that's where I make sure I get my time to create in. And I'm finding ways to start building more resources, more guides, more assets. So, you know, uh, I have a change of perspective guide. So if you were at my creative South talk, I'm packaging all that up and make it into a resource with you. I have a, 
a series coming up this month of May. I'm not sure when you'll be hearing this, but it's the three keys to building an online engaged audience. It's a presentation I gave about two weeks ago. So I, I'm packaging mm-hmm. all this up and I'm going to deliver value. So finding ways to build assets, start a coaching and uh, consulting program and start getting more video and audio out there and building courses. Gotcha. So what is the rewarding part of coaching other people for you? I feel like when I see someone get excited when they were once unsure and doubted themselves, but now they're excited for mm-hmm. to pursue something the next day. Yeah. It, it's kind of a selfish feeling because I win when you win. I pursue this because it makes me feel good. But in the sense, you're winning and I'm winning, so we win together. Yeah. Like, it's a very rewarding feeling to see someone – find their gift and share some value with the world. Cause there's just so much garbage going on in this world, so much negativity. And if I can help someone else contribute, so that, many Kardashians, so many Kardashians, it's like, dude, get out of here with this garbage. So I believe it's our duty to contribute something of value to the world. You know, you can either be selfish or selfless. Gotcha. So this is kind of your way of giving back and helping build other people up without a doubt. So, uh, Oh, kind of the motto I live by was by Zig Ziglar. And in order to get to where you want to be in life, you need to help other people get to where they want to be. And when I adapted this mindset and this motto, so much growth happened, you know, my whole life changed and it's kind of hard to keep up with, you know, what's going to happen next. And, you know, good things just continue to happen, man. Sure. So, you know, kind of backtracking a little bit. I know we were talking about, you know, when you got your start in writing and you mentioned the Sean West community. How did you find out about that and how did you get involved with that? Well, it started off, there's nothing around me here. Like I have to go two hours to Des Moines to even get to any kind of AIGA events. And it's just very inconvenient with my schedule. Sure. So, I needed to get around like-minded individuals. And that's why I went to Creative South uh, 2015 for the first time last year. Like I didn't know anybody except for like walking avatars from Instagram, you know, people I connected with online. <laughs> and when I got there, I, I right before Creative South last year too, I, I discovered – I'd been following Sean McCabe of Sean West. I, I He was one of the early people I found his hand lettering, but then he pivoted into – entrepreneurship and, you know, helping people like me build a business and do it right and just think differently about it. And I started listening to his podcast. I saw he was going to be the headline speaker and I jumped for the opportunity to go because I wanted to meet him. And just funny, I ended up meeting him on the first morning there, ended up, uh, (laughs) it it was great and ended up meeting some other people in the community there. And I'm just like, wow, like these guys just think differently. They position themselves as giving value to people. They, they become experts at what they do. Yeah. It's not about them. It's about building something bigger than them. And I totally just could relate to it. And so I left creative South last year. My mind was just blown and I immediately joined the community after that. And I, I pretty much contribute that to my biggest growth for sure. Gotcha. And what were there specific things that we're in his kind of community and in some of the things that he talks about and does that just really resonated with you once you joined up with it. Oh, without a doubt. One of the first things I did when I went home <coughs> was beginning to curate what I share. So before I was just posting all kinds of crazy stuff, logo design, t-shirt designs, uh, some hand lettering, some doodles, pictures of my cat, again, pizza. 
And it's like people can't process this, you know? How, how do you want people to define you, okay? Like they're going to put a label on you and it may not be what you want your brand to be perceived as. So I went home. I started posting strictly illustrative lettering. I wanted to be known as an illustrative lettering artist who posted, you know, motivational uplifting content. And then that's all I did in my feed. And that's when people started taking me seriously. I started building Mm -hmm. a larger audience. You know, I I discovered my love for writing and a new creative outlet through the community and just showing up each day and, you know, being a professional and being consistent and, building relationships and treating people how they should be treated instead of being greedy and, you know, here's my product, buy my stuff, guys, buy my stuff. Instead of, it's like Gary Vaynerchuk, you jab, 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 right hook, give value, give value, give value. And then you have the opportunity to go for the sale or go for the ask. Gotcha. Well, so let's talk about that since you brought up Gary Vaynerchuk and you mentioned Zig Ziglar. You obviously have a pretty strong (laughs) entrepreneurial background of, you know, DIY, you know, um, kind of picking yourself up from the bootstraps and making a go of it, especially with Perspective Collective. Um, wh- what drives that? Wow, those two are totally on the opposite ends of spectrum. Zig Ziglar and Gary Vaynerchuk. I don't. I wonder how they would act if they were ever in a room together. If Zig was still here, but <laughs> I think I, they would like each other. <laughs> Honestly, it all stems from confidence. You know, for the first 26 years of my life, I didn't have any in myself. And now I truly believe I can do whatever I set my mind to. And I believe that because I set out to do something. I'm not scared to commit to something Mm -hmm. and I'm not scared to do what it takes to achieve it. And once you start achieving these small goals over time, you can start seeing this bigger picture. You can start having a bigger vision. You can have the drive, the tenacity to show up and you know, get done what you committed to. Most people are too scared to commit because it's, it's too scary to identify a goal and it's easy to let yourself down. You know, it's easy to not keep yourself accountable. And me, I used to have that problem, but I don't anymore. I, I, if I say I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And I love the process of doing it. And once I get there, it's how do I take it to the next level? Yeah. Well, so you mentioned keeping yourself accountable and I know you're in an accountability, accountability group with like, um, Eric Friedenson and Scott Biersack and a few other people. Um, and I mean, is that something that, you know, when you put out a goal with them, do they, um, you know, kind of hold your feet to the fire of seeing it through with, without a doubt. It's kind of funny. I should probably just give them a little plug, but yeah, we, we just joke around. We call ourselves the level up society, but it's basically you attach yourself to people who are either doing what you do or what you're wanting to do and you're kind of all on the same level, but you all kind of balance each other's strengths and weaknesses. So I'm not the best at making video or, you know, selling products, but someone in this group is, you know, Mm -hmm. Terrence Tinlund studio. He's a genius at making videos and selling products or Daniel uh, Palacios of high pulp. You know, these guys are really good at this or Colin Tierney. Mm -hmm. And these guys are so good at what I'm not good at that. Uh I have resources to, help me get better in my weaknesses, you know, people to bounce ideas off people to tell me, Hey, that's a stupid idea. And you're wasting your time. You're splitting your focus. What the hell are you thinking? So people uh-huh. to put you in check. So accountability is everything to me. So is there ever a point where you set a goal for yourself and you know, you get into it and you're just like, you know what, this, this isn't going to work out. Um, I need to reevaluate, do something else. 
And how do you, if there is, how do you approach that? All the time, man. I, I set goals, but I keep them flexible because, you know, the, the vision can always change once you dig a little bit deeper, you peel away, you, you find a little bit, you find a new level in your why. So that one goal that you set six months ago, but if it's not relative to the vision anymore, then I pivot and I, I break down a new goal, you know, that does apply to my vision. It aligns with my mindset. It aligns what I'm trying to do. So I set big goals. I work backwards to how I can reach them, but I keep them flexible because if something changes on my path, then I evolve and, you know, reconstruct my goal to what it should be. You know, it's constantly yeah. changing. So like every couple of months, I have to erase my whiteboard and just re-mind map my, my situation and my short-term and my long-term plan. Gotcha. So the, keeping that flexible, um, does that help you? Because I know a lot of designers you know, deal with this and I deal with it of, you know, when I start down on a goal, if I realize it something that I'm not going to be able to finish or complete um, or if it's just not what I thought it was going to be. And, you know, in my head, I know I need to pivot and do something else. Um, or rather in my heart, I know I need to pivot and do something else, but I get in my own head and, you know, beat myself up for not making that goal. And, you know, a lot of times I might, not a lot of times, almost all the time my heart's just critic. And you know, how do you push past that? I feel like that's where the accountability comes in with other people, like mm -hmm. being able to talk to other people. Like it's good to like set personal goals and stuff for yourself, but it's important to, you know, not tell the world what you're doing, but sure. having other people to help keep you accountable or help keep you in check. And if something's not working, they can talk you out of beating yourself up. You know, they, they have a different perspective. They have a different angle you know, they may have experienced what you did and they can share their story of how they've overcome it. So I keep myself out of those situations when I feel like I'm falling into it. I go to the group, tell them how I feel. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I just get great feedback and great uplifting encouragement. Gotcha. Yeah. I, I need to surround myself with people like I, I can't do it alone. I used to do that. And then I would get in those situations like you're talking about and it would kind of just wear and tear on me. So I, I, I find it so necessary to surround yourself with like-minded individuals. Yeah. Well, so we, before we started recording, we were talking about that of how, you know, there's a big difference between having a face-to-face -face conversation with someone versus having a conversation on Slack or Twitter or something yeah. like that. You know, with that accountability group, are y'all getting on, you know, Google Hangouts and things like that often too? So you can kind of have that or is it mostly just over Slack? Um. It's just daily through Slack, but I'm actually missing the call right now. So I jumped on with you and and uh, put them on the back burner tonight. So, but no, we meet. <laughs> well, I once appreciate that. Yeah, of course, man. This is too good of an opportunity. Plus, I haven't seen you in a while. But uh, no, we we meet once a week through Google Hangouts, and sometimes it started off with just two or three of us, and now we get like up to seven people on a chat, mm -hmm. and basically we just talk about you know what's working, what's not working. Uh, what you got going on the next week, what's kind of your short-term plan and what's your long-term plan. So you're always sure. staying on course and having someone keep you accountable. Okay. So like right now, my whole mission has changed from like six months ago. I didn't see myself as a public speaker. I never saw myself wanting to podcast, never saw myself wanting to do video and those weren't in my goals. 
Mm-hmm. And now I needed to redefine my goals and evolve them because all three of those is what I want to start doing now more. Yeah. Well, and I think the nice thing behind those is, you know, each one of those can fuel the other. So, you know, if you're doing a podcast that can, you know, lead directly into doing some video presentations or doing actually in-person things, you know, if you're doing a presentation, the interactions that you have with the crowd and the audience after that can be a takeaway moment for you that you can, you know, put in the video or podcast and things like that. Without a doubt. I, I, I've been trying to find, honestly, it starts with writing. Like I said, it all starts with a, a blog post. And I've been kind of finding ways to repurpose this material to sure. know, deliver value with different channels. And it's just now I'm feeling confident in pursuing these. Like they're extremely outside of my comfort zone, but that's where you deliver the most value to people. So getting out of your comfort zone, I, I found that with public speaking. So it's now like, what's the next step? Where can I challenge myself next so it's like i got great resources i got friends doing podcasts like you so i can bug you so be ready <laughs> for lots of questions man yeah, i got I'm friends always... doing i got friends doing video so it's like i have these people i'm surrounded with that can help me mm-hmm. so you know you know kind of the theme that we've been talking on here is if you get yourself involved in the community and put yourself out there and take a few risks it, it can be pretty rewarding um if you were going to tell somebody one thing about doing that, um, what would it be? And Shia LaBeouf's just do it doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> I truly believe you need to get around other people who you aspire to be like or who are doing what you're doing and you need to get out of your comfort zone. It, it, Jim Rohn said you are the influences of the the five – you're the sum of the five people that surround you, okay? You're influenced by them. So if mm-hmm. you're around people who are going to bring you down or people who can't match your way of thinking, you're just going to go around in circles or it's going to take you forever to get on the right track by getting out of your comfort zone and – Finding a community to establish yourself in, whether it's the Sean West community, whether it's the Creative South family, whether it's some community on Instagram or Facebook or Pinterest or whatever, there are people you need to get around. And these people will keep you accountable. They will help you get a clearer vision, okay? You need to get around like-minded individuals. That's probably the biggest thing I could ever tell somebody in trying to pursue their creativity and they're not sure where to start. Mm -hmm. So... You know, we're kind of getting close to our time here. So what's in the future for you aside from the videos, public speaking, podcasting, more coaching, all of that uh, stuff? What are you doing for you? I have no idea. This that is all for me, man. That's fun to me. Like that's that's what I go to bed thinking about. And that's what I wake up looking forward to. Like, that's my fun. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, maybe, uh, maybe the only time I take time to myself is just, I mean, if I'm at the gym clearing my mind or, you know, if I'm just drawing a random piece, that's just for fun. You know, it's not for a blog post. That's probably when I do something for myself, but it, it still, it stems the drawing. That's where I find the most fulfillment. So, ah, man, I, yeah, that's a hard question, man. Uh, <laughs> I, this is all kind of for me, but it's for other people too. So I sure. Know. I feel like if I slack, I'm holding myself back if I don't push this every day. But it's just so much fun that I'm just going to say that it's for me. So that's why I do it. Yeah. I I don't, I I don't have a better answer at the moment. You got me me thinking. Well, keep thinking about it. That's uh, we can, 
reevaluate and reestablish new goals based off that. Definitely. What am I going to do for me? I have no idea. <laughs> so, uh, so I didn't mean to stump you so much with that. Um, well, cool. Well, wrapping up, uh, where can we find uh, more of Scotty Russell online? All right. You can go to perspective under, or perspective-collective.com. And then for social media, it's perspective underscore collective and kill all the vowels. So social media hates me because I have a really long name. So it's I, I'm pretty much perspective underscore collective on all my platforms. But I'm most most active on uh, Instagram, Snapchat, and I just started using Anchor, which I love right now. So those are those are probably my three main platforms. But I'm everywhere if you guys want to talk. Otherwise, go to my newsletter. I love working with you guys one on one and. You can sign up for my newsletter online. It's in my footer of every page. So, Cool. Well, thank you, Scotty. I appreciate you taking the time to talk with us tonight. Oh, man, this was awesome. I wouldn't have missed it. Yeah. So we end every podcast by saying go out and hug some necks. So uh, would you do the honors? Of course. Right now? <laughs> yes. Oh. Hey, everyone, you need to go out there and hug some necks, okay? I'm going to leave that in awkward and all. <laughs> Go hug some next, guys. <laughs> Thanks, Patty. I appreciate it. You can find out more about Scotty over at perspective-collective.com or find him on Twitter, Dribble, Snapchat, and Instagram by following the links in the show notes. You can keep up with the podcast on Twitter at CreativeSOPod and follow Creative South on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at CreativeSouthGA or over at CreativeSouthGA.com. And I'm at Jay Frostholm on Dribble, Twitter, and Instagram. If you want to engage with the podcast more, check out a new podcasting app called Remarks that allows you to add notes and comments about the episodes, get feedback from other listeners, and hear from me as well. You can find it over at remarks.fm. And if you like the Creative South podcast, head over to iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play Music. Rate us and leave a review. This helps more people find the podcast and allows us to keep getting awesome guests. Now go out and hug some necks. <laughs> <laughs>